0: Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning. Hope you've already had a great time of, uh, of worship uh, there at your house, in apartment, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us this morning. And we're gonna be in Philippians too. We're gonna continue in our series called The Gospel Changes Everything. Uh, but let me give you two things uh, to the Biltmore Church family. Number one, hopefully you've already heard that starting this Thursday, we're taking the next step in uh, regathering, all right? And so uh, if you haven't already heard, you can go uh, to BiltmoreChurch.com and you do have to RSVP for these services because uh, we're setting up the seats in a very, very limited way. Um, And so we're going to start off with three of the campuses, but you, and if you click on there and it's like, oh, it's already full, then try another campus. And if they're all full, then you can immediately go to the next week. All right. So uh, thanks for being understanding about that. Secondly, one of the things we talk about all the time is the Great Commission has not been quarantined. Y'all have been doing a fantastic job of ministering to your city and your community. And we have another chance coming up here just a couple of weeks. If you remember in November, uh, you guys ministered to a thousand families in Western North Carolina, families that were in need, providing Christmas for them and all this stuff. Well, those same families, we're going to bless them again. All right. So we've got a thousand pair of Nike tennis shoes, brand new Nike tennis shoes that we're going to give to the kids of those families. And uh, it's going to be kind of gone through the connect group. So campus pastors will be talking to the connect group leaders. Connect group leaders will be talking to you about how we go and distribute those here in a couple of weeks. But again, thanks for your generosity. It makes things like that happen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. The whole idea we're looking at today in Philippians 2 is basically this, that the low man wins. All right, the low man wins. All right, so a number of different sports use this, this whole analogy. It's primarily used in football, but low man wins. Low man wins means whether it be blocking, whether it be... Be tackling, whether it be avoiding a block, whatever. Low man wins, get as low as you can so you can then get leverage, all right? So if you're an offensive lineman, you're trying to get low enough, get your pad level low so you can then get up and push up and end up getting the leverage, all right? Uh, even in basketball, those crazy uh, Duke Blue Devils, all right, when they're really wanting to play defense, what they do, they get way down here, slap the floor. Why? Because they're like, I got to get super, super low. Why? Because low man wins. Believe it or not, Low man wins is a biblical principle that has just unbelievable both benefits and warnings. When you see low man wins in the Bible, it's said a bunch of different ways, but it promises if you and I will get low, it promises everything from a wisdom and guidance out of the book of Proverbs. Anybody in there is like, man, I wish I had some guidance. I wish I knew what decision to make. It says, get as low as you can, as quick as you can, and you'll get guidance. All right, Uh, James, the half brother of Jesus actually said this, it says, God will oppose the proud, but he will pour out grace to the humble. He'll pour out grace to the guy that gets low. I mean, anybody need grace out there? You need grace in your marriage and your parenting and your money and your jobs. It's like, you want grace to flow, get as low as you can, as quick as you can. And even crazier, Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. You're like, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means, but doesn't it sound awesome? I mean, God's gonna somehow take us when we humble ourselves, and he will exalt us at the perfect time. I tell you what's even scarier is if we don't do that, what the Bible says. The Bible, again, going back to some of those same verses that God will oppose us. God opposes the proud. Well, you're like, well, that's not, that's not about the Christian. Actually, James has written primarily to Christians. Somehow God would oppose my work, my job, my, what I'm trying to get done, actually says he will. And so what we're gonna try to do is like, how do we get that going into our life in a good way? I heard a long time ago this phrase that grace flows toward humility. Grace flows toward humility. And so humility is that whole idea of that the low man wins. And Philippians 2, by the way, if the Bible were a mountain range, this would be like one of the top three or four peaks in the entire Bible. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through just four verses today. We're going to kind of walk through them, take about three or four minutes, do a little kind of what they call exegesis. We're gonna look at the words and pick some of the things out. And then we're gonna land this plane with some very pragmatic steps that we can do today. As a matter of fact, if grace flows toward humility and if God wants to pour out his grace to the humble, then I'm, my promise to you is this. If you and I will just take a few of these things, then we can rest assured that even before you put your head on the pillow, there can be some grace that'll start to tilt toward you. All right? So here's where we are. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse one, I'm gonna read it, make a few comments, and then we're gonna uh, to try to explain how that works for us. So verse one, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now listen to me, listen to me, loved ones. This does not, this sounds more speculative than it actually is when he says, if there's any encouragement, he's not really talking about, well, maybe if you've had it or not. It's, it's actually the idea of sense or in view of. In view of the fact that you've been encouraged in Christ. You've been encouraged, I mean, you've been encouraged by, in Christ, encouraged by his example, encouraged by his promises, encouraged by his love. It's like, if you've got that, since you have that, since you've been comforted by his love for you. Since, you know has God ever comforted you, come alongside you and said, you know what? I love you in spite of your failure, in spite of your sin, in spite of you doing the same thing, I love you. If that's ever been the case, he says if you have any fellowship in the spirit, I mean, the fact that God not only is with you, but also in you, has that ever actually been true in your life? And then he says, any affection or sympathy, you ever understood you're the object of mercy, object of God's affection? He says, since those are true, then he's gonna say, do something. Here's what he says. He says, then he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Here's what he's saying. If the gospel is true, let the gospel show itself to be true in your life. In other words, if all those invisible things in verse one are true, then it ought to show itself visibly in the way that you interact with other people. In other words, if you've been united with Jesus, this unity should show in your life. Now, before we go to verse three, this is a super important thing we talk about all the time at Biltmore Church. And that is there's a very clear, distinct pattern in the scriptures, both New Testament and Old Testament. And that is, we've referred to it a bunch of different ways. Let's just call it the indicative imperative pattern you see in the Bible. And imperative are about God's commands. God says, do these things, all right? The indicative is about why you should do those. And so throughout the Bible, there'll be these commands, but they need to be linked to the why do I do those? And for us, what we've seen is that they are almost always, especially in the New Testament, linked to the gospel and what God has done. You know, be holy. Why? Because God is holy. All right. You should love your brother. Why? Because God loves you. And even here it says, okay, verse one says this is what God has done. And then in verse two, it's like this is what you are supposed to do. Then he really gets clear in verse three. He says, then do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Some of your translations say vain conceit. It means empty glory. It means this is about me. It's not about you. It's not even about God. It's about me. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is hard. Count, calculate. How do I do this? That's the attitude that says, you before me. And then he doubles down and says it in verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's assuming you're already gonna look by default to your own interests, he says, but don't stop there, go to some other people's interests as well. So let me kind of break this down in two basic things. The first one, let's acknowledge there's a struggle There's a struggle with humility. Or if you put it in the other way, it's a struggle with pride, the struggle with humility. He says, make my joy complete. In other words, it's not complete now. Why? Because he looked at a great church and he saw things like selfishness and conceit and it is about me. Now, remember, this is like the best church Paul's got. This is not like some crazy Corinthians. This is not the legalistic Galatians. This is the Philippi, This is the best church that he has. And yet he's still saying, man, it's it's not it's not there yet. There's still a lot of this stuff that needs to be humbled. So let's be clear on this too. When people think humility, they tend to think somebody with the really low self-esteem and putting themselves down. That's not biblical humility. Humility is not self-deprecating. It's not low self-esteem. It's not a low self-image. Humility is about self-awareness. It's about an honest assessment of who we are. The word humble there actually comes from the word meaning from the earth or dirt. So when you see somebody in the biblical sense of humility, you might say, man, that person, she is, down to earth, she's down to earth. The verb form and the idea of humble yourself is the idea of I'm gonna get down here, I'm gonna get my hands, I'm gonna get in the dirt, I'm gonna humble myself and get down and be down to earth, a down to earth person. Now, if you're like me, it's a lot easier for me to see pride and arrogance, because pride means puffed up. I have a puffed up opinion of myself, I'm self-important. It is so much easier for me to see that in other people than it is to see in the mirror. You see it in other people, and sometimes you even have a stereotype. The, when I was starting to work on this text, I, started, I thought about it, I didn't have the conversation, but I saw him in the restaurant and he was over there, maybe 15 feet away, wasn't a real big restaurant. He was on his phone, just talking loud so everybody could hear And He was talking about all these, you know, the CFO of this and the CEO, and this guy wants my opinion. And I'm just like, dude, that guy is so puffed up. He is so arrogant. Because it's easy for me to see that in him. What we need to do is see it in us. And so I put a little quiz together for you and the quiz is super easy. It's yes, no, and there's five questions, all right? So again, yes, no, five questions. And by the way, the one before you even get in there, you're like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna take some test. I'm not gonna listen to something. Then you've already failed, all right? You just, you've already failed. But if you wanna take the test, one, two, three, four, five, yes or no, all right? Question number one, uh, you're alive, yes or no? You're alive. Like, what do you mean? I mean, are you breathing? Yes or no? The reason I say that is we all by default go towards self-centeredness. That's where we all are. You don't have to work at being self-centered, neither do I. We naturally go that way. If you take a picture, uh, if somebody takes a group picture and they show you the group picture, who's the first person you look at in the group picture? You. Look at you. As a matter of fact, sometimes if everybody looks awesome and you look bad, you're like, take the picture over. That's a bad picture. It's only a bad picture because you look bad. We'd naturally, naturally go toward that. That's why we're like, this isn't like uh, you know three steps to being humble, that's not it. You're never gonna get there. All we can say, the best we can say, is I'm a proud person that is in pursuit of humility. Question number two, a little more serious. Yes or no, you rarely apologize. You rarely apologize. Rarely do you, and by the way, if you really wanna know how you score on this test, then have your spouse or have your roommate or have somebody close to you, have your kids, have them fill that out. But yes or no, you rarely apologize. uh, People who are prideful, they love conflict, and conflict is a competition, and because of that, they rarely, rarely will say, I was wrong, I was wrong please forgive me, I messed up, I was in the wrong. It is agonizing for them because that feels like defeat and like, you know what, I'm 91 and zero in arguments. Yes Yes or no, rarely apologize. Number three, you often criticize people. You often criticize people. Can you believe she wore that? Can you believe he got that award? Can you, believe, can you believe that church did X, Y, and Z? And then when people are successful, typically jealousness, covetousness, all that comes up there. And you're like, well, you know, I ought to be able to say that because I could do better. Maybe you could, maybe you could do better. Uh, but right now, God's working on your character and where that typically starts is humility. Number four, uh, you exaggerate. Yes or no, you exaggerate. Now, we're all prone to that. I'm talking about you exaggerate. You actually change the facts to make you look better, more puffed up than you actually are. Now, again, this is, everybody struggles with it, but sometimes it's just like, there's no way that's true. I mean, I've heard dads, and I'm not calling out any dads. I've heard dads like, you know what? I was first team all stayed on 5A championship team. And then somehow, some way, you know, you go out and throw a football with them and they can't even throw it. They can't throw it 10 yards, all right? You find out they were like not even all district as a third string tied in on a 1A football team. There's nothing wrong with that, no shame in that. But what pride does is puff itself up and exaggerate it. How about this? I read where there's 93 million selfies taken every day. 93 million selfies. Here's me at Applebee's. Here's me at, you know, the Great Wall of China. Here's me at whatever. 93 million, this is, I I want you to hear me. You know what's even crazier about that? Is of all the 93 million selfies taken every single day, over 75% are doctored before they're ever put on social media. Let me put this filter. Let me make a chin that I'd rather have. Let me brighten my eyes. Let me color my hair. Let me do whatever. Why? Because we... We want to exaggerate what it's actually like. Yes or no? You exaggerate. And number five, and this was like very convicting. Uh, Number five, yes or no? You don't express gratitude very often. You don't express gratitude. Gratitude occurs when what we feel we are owed or entitled to is surpassed by what we actually receive. So, What happens is when we feel like we're entitled to a lot and it doesn't measure up or go above that, then we typically are ungrateful people because we're entitled people. And so, for example, let's say somebody comes up to you and says, "Um, hey, I want you and your wife, you've been working hard, I want you and your wife to go have a night by yourself and a night out and I'm gonna pay for the hotel. And then when that time comes, he's like, I've already gotten the hotel key for you. And he gives you, let's just say, a Hampton Inn. Now Hampton Inns are, are nice, but if you were expecting the key to the Inn at the Biltmore state, and they gave you the Hampton Inn, you're gonna be disappointed because you're gonna go to the Hampton Inn and you were thinking you were deserving of the Inn at the Biltmore state, And all of a sudden, you don't have that little chocolate on your pillow. All right, Hampton Inn doesn't have that little mini TV that you can look at when you're in the bathroom doing bathroom stuff. You're like, it's not like that. But if you were expecting, let's say like a dorm room and you get to Hampton Inn, you're like, this is amazing. We've got a television on the wall, we can move it. Somebody's gonna like make our bed. So let me just ask you again, uh, are, are you grateful? Are you grateful? So here's the way we score, uh, five questions, one point each. Uh, everybody was number one, but if two through five, if you scored a two through five, you are like super prideful. You're prideful, okay? If, uh, <laughs> if you did a zero or you refused to score, you're like off, you know, you're off the charts prideful. You're like, I'm not even approaching my pride. A bonus again, if you, if you let somebody else who knows you score your test, you get a bonus point. Like well, would you score? I scored an eight, but I'm just saying, be honest. And you're like, well, how do I even take a step toward? I don't like what I see. Uh, well, let's do this. Let's take some steps. What do we do toward taking some steps toward humility? Verse three says, "In humility, count." It means calculator, figure. It's something you do. We usually think of humbling being humbled is something passive. Something happens to you, you lose your job. Um, An athlete loses his speed. You're like, man, they got humbled. They got humbled. But actually the Bible says it's not passive. It's very active. It's something you and I I choose to do. As a matter of fact, listen to these different different verses about how it's always active, all right? Uh, Jesus says it, Paul says it, Peter says it, James says it. Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself, herself, will be exalted. So it's something you you do. James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Peter, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Here's what actually is uh, encouraging and frightening. I remember hearing a sermon maybe 25 years ago out of James chapter four, verse six, the one that says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And for the first time, it was pointed out that nowhere in the Bible where's this just kind of amorphous thing saying be humble. It was always humble yourself. And so what God's plan A is for you and I as a Christ follower, and by the way, you cannot even be a Christ follower if you've not humbled yourself one time because the very act of being a Christ follower required you to humbly say, you know what? It's my sin that put you on the cross. I can't make my way to heaven. And so I'm humbling myself before almighty God and asking you to save me, all right? If you hadn't done that, that's like the first thing you gotta do. Humble yourself before a holy and righteous God. Acknowledge, you know what? I've sinned against that God. And believe, you know what? Jesus did on the cross counted for me, all right? Somehow, some way, 2,000 years ago, when he hung on a cross, that wasn't just for me that was, that was instead of me. I deserve to be there and then ask him. Just say, God, I wanna confess that I want you to be the Lord and savior of my life. It takes humility to do that. But God's plan A for the Christian is to humble ourselves, take action corresponding to humility. And if we don't do that, what you see then is he then steps in and causes humiliation, So plan A is humble yourself, plan B is humiliation. I think I'm like, I'm so proud, I'd rather rather try to figure out a way to humble myself than say, God, just humiliate me. So what are we supposed to do? So uh, let's kind of break it into two things and we'll unpack it a little more next week. Uh, It's an attitude and an action. The attitude's pretty clear, verse one and two talks about all the benefits of the gospel. And then verse five, he says, have this mind or attitude that Christ Jesus had. He humbled himself, he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. I mean, that is the picture of humility that we'll talk about next week. But here's what, here's what we've talked about two or three times over the years is the gospel is the only religion. It's the on, Christianity is the only religion. The gospel is the only worldview that can simultaneously give a person both humility and confidence at the same time you're like, how does that work? The gospel humbles us, continues to humbles, humble us. It humbles us initially because you've got to realize that was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. I was so bad that the sinless son of God had to die in my place. That in and of itself is amazingly humbling. And then even now you realize, you know what? anytime now when I fail, it's like, man, my that's the kind of sin that put Jesus on the cross. So in one case, it is very humbling, but on the other hand, it gives you great confidence. You get confidence, why? Because I'm in a great situation. The gospel is not only humbling because of what it did to Jesus, but it's confidence building because of what Jesus did for you. And what did Jesus do for you? If you're a Christian, it's things like adopted and forgiven and redeemed and reconciled and bought back and ransomed and all those awesome words. And so you have both uh, humility and uh, confidence at the same time. And I would just say this to my more mature believers out there, the more mature and the longer we walk with the Lord, what should happen, what should happen is as we grow in the Lord and as we go deeper into the gospel, then we become more humble people. Now, honestly, that's not the way it happens all of the time, maybe not even most of the time. Oftentimes what happens is the longer we're, the longer we walk with the Lord, then we ask for more of our preferences and we ask people to help us out and ask people to bow down to us and our preferences, that oftentimes is what happens. But what should happen is the longer we walk with the Lord and the deeper we dive into the gospel, the more humble we are. That's what happened to Paul. I'll show you a quick little timeline. 1 Corinthians 15, written about 56 AD, he says this, he says, I am the least of the apostles not worthy to be called an apostle. Skip down a few more years in 60 or 61, one of those two Ephesians. It says, the grace was given to me, the least of all the saints to proclaim to the Gentiles, the riches of Christ. Go a few more years, 62, 63, 64 or so. And he writes Timothy and he says, you know what? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. So understand the more Paul matured in his faith, the more sinful he saw himself. He progresses for I'm the least of the apostles to I'm the worst of the saints to I'm like the worst sinner in the world. Nowadays, a lot of churches are like, man, he needs to go get some therapy. Here he goes to go read a self-help book or whatever. His, his self-image is bad. That's not it at all because he had that corresponding confidence. Have you ever seen anybody bolder than the apostle Paul? I mean, he'd walk into a place and start to debate about the riches of the gospel. So you had humility and you had confidence. That's, that's the sweet spot we're looking for. But understand, and this is the part we oftentimes miss. It is not just an attitude. It is action. Humility is so much more about action and doing things than just being something. John 13 is the classic example about Jesus showing humility. But if you notice, he didn't just sit there and go, man, you know what, I'm humble. He actually got up and then washed the disciples' feet. And so what do we do? Even in this text, he says, you count. It means you calculate. Think about how am I gonna take some action? So uh, for a lot of us, humility is sort of like that Peloton that we bought in January thinking, you know what, I'm gonna get in shape. And that Peloton thing is just sitting there. You put close the dry on there. It's like, well, it's not doing you any good because you're not using it. In the same way, you got to use it and take some action with humility. So let me break it down into a few easy to understand things. And uh, it's like, how do I count others more significant? Now, before you think this is a, what, a, what a joyless way of living. This is actually the joyful way of living the opposite. Have you, ever seen a, have you ever seen a super self-centered, puffed up person who is genuinely joyful? I mean, you haven't. Neither have I. That's where we get the word narcissism from. Narcissism comes from Greek mythology, the figure whose name was Narcissus. Narcissus died because his nemesis That was what you're like, who was his nemesis name? His nemesis, his name was Nemesis, all right? They used up all their imagination on Narcissus, but Nemesis got Narcissus to look at his own reflection in a pond, and when he saw his own reflection, he fell in love with his reflection to such a degree he couldn't take his eyes off of himself, and he died there. And that's where a lot of people spiritually just die on the vine. They can never understand. It's about, I got to look out for the interest of others. And when I do that, man, God just pours grace out on me. So what does that look like? Here's some real practical ways before we close. I would just put, I put it in three ways. Open your mouth. That's one way, open your mouth. Uh, Open your mouth. It might look like apologizing first. You and your wife got in an argument on Tuesday. Here we are on Sunday. And it's just a stalemate all right? Uh, you think she's wrong. She thinks you're wrong. You're probably thinking, okay, I'm, I'm 60% wrong. She's 40% wrong. And because of your pride, you won't apologize. And so what I'm encouraging you to do, humble yourself. You before me, go to the lower place and apologize first. And when you apologize, don't do a lame apology, all right? Listen to me. Hey, men, especially, we are, we are like subject matter experts in lame apologies. Say. Don't do a lame apology. Don't do one that's like, well, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. That's not an apology, bro. It's just not. Say, I'm sorry I was wrong. And don't even add the stuff you think she did wrong. Just like, I messed up. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Period. Like, what if she didn't apologize? Listen, you've humbled yourself. God's grace starts to flow toward the humble. Let God take care of it. Just apologize first or just ask this simple question, how can I help you today? How can I help you today? You can do that with your spouse, students. Let me just be, students, you go up and you tell your parents, just go up to mom, go up to dad and go, hey, how can I help you today? <laughs> they, they're gonna freak out that you asked them. They probably won't even ask you to help them do anything. But if you sincerely ask them, and I would be even more blunt to say, we have a lot of Christian students at our church and. I've seen your prayer requests. A lot of you are praying for your dad to get more serious about his relationship with Jesus. Some of you are even praying, I wish my mom and dad would come to church and not just send me to church. I wish my dad would love Jesus. And what I'm saying is, do you understand the impact that that could make in his life or her life when they see you who are professing a savior who humbled himself and served you in the gospel? And all of a sudden, that's translating into you, a changed person, coming up and saying, how can I serve you as my parent? Just saying, God can use that. Some of you have been praying for your office or your school, and it's like, man, I wish God would move. Why don't he move with these pagans? I mean, it's just not happening. Can you imagine the impact if you just go into your office and you know the person that might irritate you a little bit? Hey, is anything? I finished work a little bit early today. I got my stuff done. I got an extra 30 minutes. Anything I can do to help you? you just, dem- that's a small little picture of demonstrating the gospel of what Jesus did for you. All right, open your mouth. Number two, open your hands. This goes a hundred different ways too. Maybe in your neighborhood, maybe your apartment, maybe, uh, maybe you've got somebody, a neighbor that has a bad knee and man, you see him struggling, trying to get his trash back up to his house, whatever. Just go help him with that. Open your hands. Again, uh, if you're married, go up to your spouse and just, you already know what physical chore he or she hates to do. You probably do. All right, you probably know, man, she hates to do this. She hates to clean up the dog hair, all right? He hates to take the trash to the curb or whatever. Just try to do, just say, you know what? Don't even tell him you're doing it. Just go, just go and do it. All right, let's just get down to real, all right? Church. And normally this would be the easy apropos place where I'd say, hey, we've got 2,500 volunteers that we need, you know, every Sunday, and we need another 500 more, and you know, please work in the nursery or the parking lot. And hey, there's going to be a day that's going to happen. All right, we're, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We'll, at some point it'll be back to normal. It's not normal now. So then, how do we then put other people's interests before our own? Maybe that looks like uh, things that you don't really like to do. So maybe it's something like. Uh, you're gonna to come to one of the regatherings we start. We've asked everybody to wear a mask, all right? And you're like, I don't need to wear a mask. I don't think they even do any good. I don't like wearing a mask. You know what? It's not about you, bro, all right? It's about how do I put other people's interests and they might be more fearful than you and that puts them at ease and allows them to worship God. And so you might not wanna wear a mask, but you know what? Because I'm gonna humble myself I'm gonna wear a mask, right? Or maybe it's like you don't like the fact you have to RSVP. You're like, I shouldn't have to RSVP at my church, you know what? The reason you do that is because we can make sure we space them out, right? And so instead of saying, you know what? I don't like that. I don't like to have to do that to my church. I, do you see? I, 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 I. It's narcissism. So what do you do? Say, so you know what? I'm putting their needs in front of my own. And to do that, I'm gonna to try to help them and help them be at ease because it's not about me, it's about other people. I mean, just do that on down, on down the road. Here's the last one I would do this is, uh, and I'd ask you to do this at your house, is you, know, you open your mouth, all right, you use your hands, but I'd say bend your knees. So here's what I mean by this. When I say bend your knees, when you see people's posture, it sort of tells you something about them. If I'm like this, If you're talking to me and I'm like this, that's kind of telling you I'm not real open to what you're saying, okay? My wife says that we're in an argument. I do this. We don't really argue. We just loudly discuss things that we disagree on. So, but I go, I just do this right here. I purse my lips. My kids said when I would get really mad, there'd be like a vein that would come out on my forehead when I would like get really, really mad, all right? Those are all indicative of what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what my posture is saying. In the same way, you can pray any way you want to. You can pray standing up. The Bible has people praying prayers that are written down. You've got all different ways. So there's nothing magical about doing this right here. But I'd invite you right here. So maybe you're by yourself. Uh, maybe you're with your kids. So if you physically can, um, just hit your knees right there. I'm gonna give you a second. So just get on your knees. All right, I'm not gonna ask you anything crazy. Just get on your knees. All right. When you see somebody on their knees, that is a sign, of, it's a sign of recognition. You know what? I'm recognizing I am before somebody who is greater than me. So you're bowing before God. It is a picture of submission. You know what? I'm in the low place. God, you are in the high place. And then it's, it, it's, it is a picture of dependence. I'm bowing before somebody who can make a difference in my life. And so what we're gonna do is hopefully by now you've made your way down there, all right? And as we pray, I'm just gonna pray for you. Um, and you can keep praying after I say amen, uh, but let me pray for all of us and pray that this week, actually, let's take it, let's pray that before the day ends, God would show you one specific way, specific action you can take to really fulfill verse three and verse four, all right? to Humble yourself with Jesus as the model of him humbling himself on the cross. I'm gonna humble myself uh, before other people, all right? I'm gonna put their interest before my own, all right? Let me pray for us. Father, we wanna, we're on our knees right now and our prayer is that the posture of our body is indicative of the posture of our heart. And we are uh, dependent, we are uh, asking, we are submissive. That's what we want to have happen. If it's not there, we pray that you would make it that way. God, thanks for the men and women, the boys and girls that are watching right now. And God, you have said that your grace will flow toward humility. You said that you would oppose the proud, but you pour out, you lavish from heaven, grace on the humble. And so right now, we wanna take some steps toward humility to say, you know what? Honestly, assessing ourselves before the cross of Jesus, we are both a confident on what you did, and we were very humbled by the fact you had to do it. But God, right now, our prayers, as we humble ourselves, you would pour out grace on homes, on marriages, on parenting, on churches, on schools, on ministries, on jobs, on financial situations. But right now we humble ourselves before you, ask you to do what only you can do, and then in your own proper time, whenever you want to, just like Peter says, that you would. Lift us back up at the proper time. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for what you're doing in our church. We already pray for the regatherings that are starting to happen, that even in the spite of all this you know, space and limited seating, that there would be a great sense of worship that happens, not just this Thursday, but also on the online services on Sunday. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.